right. Awesome. Well, let me, let me pray as we begin uh, the message this morning. Thank you, Robin. It's wonderful to hear from you this morning and to hear what you're doing in San Francisco. It's good to be able to meet you in person. Um, so let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this time that we've already shared together this morning in your presence. And I pray as we look at your word today, now that you will guide us into all truth. I thank you, Father, that you love us and it is your desire for us to live the lives that you have called us to live in fruitfulness and blessing. And I ask as we study together, as we think together, as we meditate together on your word that we will all take big steps forward into the life that you've called us to in Jesus' name. Amen. So, well, good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Horman. I'm the senior minister here at One. For those of you who don't know me, it's wonderful to be with you. Do you want to hear something crazy? Something crazy. Advent begins in two weeks. Yes, that means, um, not including today, there are five Sundays left before Christmas. Everyone take a deep breath. Uh, we, have, we have many good things planned during the Advent season, which I'm super excited about, uh, but still, that feels a little rushed, doesn't it? Um, a bunch of us were away last week at camp. Who was at camp last weekend? Yes, that was wonderful, so good. Definitely want to try and do that again next year if we can, if we can convince the organizing committee to do it again. We'll see. Maybe we need a new team or some more people on the team. That would be wonderful. You want to help, by the way, if you want to help organize camp next year, let us know. Uh, and tonight we have, of course, our prayer and worship night, which is going to be beautiful. It's so good each time we do these just to take some unhurried time to be in the presence of God, to pray, to worship, to be with each other, and just to enjoy being children of our loving Heavenly Father. Amen. So you're all welcome to come along to that. Uh, while we're at camp, I spent a couple of sessions talking about Proverbs, and especially about this idea of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And in Hebrew, the word for wisdom is chachma. Can we all say that together? You've got to get it right in the back of the throat, chachma. That's wisdom in Hebrew. Um, and I want to continue that today and deal with something specific, which is how we receive guidance from God. How do we receive guidance from the Lord? And how is that opened up for us in the book of Proverbs? This is probably one of the things I get asked the most as a pastor over the years. One of the main questions that people ask me is, how does God guide me? How can I know the will of God? What does God want for my life? How can I make good decisions as I follow the Lord? And so that's what we're going to dig into this morning. First, uh, let me ask, what is wisdom? How would you define wisdom? Well, in the book of Proverbs, we don't get one specific definition. In fact, what we're shown, what's revealed to us in the book of Proverbs is that wisdom is this rich and expansive and dynamic idea that includes nearly everything from truth and righteousness and beauty and justice all the way through to creativity, the order of the universe, the laws of science, to the moral law, and even to little things like doing the best that you can at whatever you have in front of you to do giving yourself wholly to a particular task, whatever that may be, and experiencing the joy of doing something well. Like, you know, if you have a hobby or if you're doing something at work and you feel like you've put everything of yourself into it and you did a good job, 
and how that makes you feel. You feel joyful, you feel satisfied. That is chokmah, that is wisdom. That's all part of what wisdom is as revealed to us in the book of Proverbs. Essentially, it's anything that points us to the creativity, the beauty, and the character of God. That is wisdom. And to be wise, then, is to choose to live your life in line with the grain of how God has created the world to work, how God has created the world to flourish, how life has been intended to flourish. A wise person chooses to live their life in the grain of how God has created the world to work for life and blessing to flourish. So that's what uh, Proverbs is really about. And we see this, of course, throughout the whole scriptures, but we have this one book, the book of Proverbs, dedicated to trying to understand and discern how to live a wise life in all of the various circumstances that we find ourselves. So although Proverbs doesn't give us one specific definition of wisdom, of course, as we go further into the scriptures, we are given a living example of perfect wisdom in the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians 1, we preach Christ who is for us the power and the wisdom of God revealed. So Jesus is the perfect revelation of what wisdom looks like lived in a life. And that's what we mean when we talk about wanting to be disciples who follow the way of Jesus. So we are trying to emulate his way of life, the way he dealt with people, the way that he handled difficult situations, the way he spoke, the way he thought, the way he handled his emotions. All of these things reveal to us what a wise life looks like. So what does Proverbs tell us um, about how we can posture ourselves then to receive wisdom? How do we receive wisdom from God? Uh, and there's two ways, and they're actually really simple, and they're both from the same verse, Proverbs 1.7. You probably know this next slide, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So how do we receive wisdom from the Lord? The first way is to fear the Lord. Next slide. Thank you to recognize that he is God and we are not. So to humble yourself before God uh, and be willing to listen to him is what it means to fear the Lord, to humble yourself, to dethrone yourself from the center of your life, from the center of the universe, humble yourself before God and be willing to listen to him, to submit to him, to follow his lead. That's, where, that's not all of wisdom, that's just where wisdom starts. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you want to begin in a pathway of wisdom, if you want to live a wise life, the first thing that you must do is humble yourself and submit your life to the Lord out of reverence and holy admiration and fear. Now, it's not to be afraid of God, but it is to recognize that He is God and you most definitely are not. The second thing to do is not be an idiot. Now, I know that's very spiritual, so let me just try to unpack that statement for a little bit. A fool or an idiot or someone who is stupid, according to the Proverbs, is someone who thinks that they've got it all figured out, who are wise in their own eyes. This is a phrase that Proverbs use all the, uses all the time, that a fool is someone who is wise in their own eyes. In their own estimation, they're a wise person and who think that they don't need to receive instruction, therefore, because they already know it all. Now, they may not be always arrogant or proud, but the key characteristic of everyone in the Proverbs who is a fool is that they're not willing to listen. Not willing to listen. 
So have you ever known someone in your life who simply refuses to listen when people are trying to give them good feedback? You might be thinking, yes, they came with me to church this morning. I'm sitting right next to them. Should we do a show of hands right now? No, don't, don't, please. Okay, so it might be a work colleague, it might be a spouse, it might be one of your children, it might even be you. A fool, according to Proverbs, is someone who does not have a posture of openness to feedback, to instruction, to counsel, to teaching, to the wisdom of those who have gone a little bit further in life, and instead they despise it, or sometimes Proverbs will say they mock it, they laugh at it. Uh, They become angry or defensive, or they blame others, or they gaslight, or they get passive aggressive. Do you know anyone who does those things when you try to give them some helpful feedback? They respond with defensiveness. That's the posture of a fool, according to Proverbs. Whereas a wise person says, okay, I will listen. And if there's some truth here that I need to pay attention to, I will listen to that. Again, I don't wanna say uh, that all feedback is equal or that you have to listen to everyone who wants to give you advice, but you have to be discerning and wise. And the first posture is therefore to have an open ear. Is there something I need to hear when this person speaks to me? Now, so a, a foolish person is someone who's never at fault. It's always some other reason, some other circumstance caused this, or it's someone else's fault. Proverbs is full of instruction around this. Proverbs 15, for example, mockers resent correction, so they avoid the wise. Or uh, verse 14, they dis- the discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds on folly. Or a fool spurns discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. So then a fool whose way will trend inevitably to destruction, or another way to put that is a foolish person ends up causing a lot of hurt to themselves and to others. Most of the time they don't mean it, they're not evil, they're just foolish. And so they cause a lot of hurt to people around them, to their own life, uh, and it's just because they are simply not listening to truth. They've closed their ears and their minds and their heart to correction and and instruction. A wise person, on the other hand, is someone who's willing to listen, who is humble enough to listen and receive instruction and pursue the truth. Now, if you think I'm being harsh, listen to, say, Proverbs 12, verse 1. I don't know if I have this on the screen, but in verse 1 of Proverbs 12, it says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Oh, I do have it on the screen. There we go. And then in verse 15, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Okay, so how do we then discern wisdom and apply that to the specific circumstances that we may find ourselves in? That's the question that we want to wrestle with this morning. We have so many decisions we have to make in life, often some huge life-altering decisions, and in those moments, what we want is specific direction, don't we, from the Lord. We want the Lord to tell us, what should I do? Where should I live? What should I study? Where should I work? Who should I marry? What should I do with my money? How should I invest my money? What if I suffer? How do I handle conflict? What do I do with my time? How do I deal with difficult people? (laughs) I'm sure you've never asked that question. So many decisions we have to make in life, often on a daily basis. And we know, don't we, that Jesus is our guide, that we are his sheep and he promises us that his sheep will hear his voice. His sheep will hear his voice and be led by him. And we're told in Psalm 119 that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light 
to our path to show us the way, to give us direction. But how do we receive that guidance? How do we listen? Life can be confusing. It can be hard to discern God's will. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Proverbs gives us some amazing wisdom about how to receive God's guidance. Fear the Lord, don't be an idiot. There you go, that's what you came here for this morning. Okay, first of all, in order to receive guidance from the Lord, it begins with trust. Guidance begins with trust. Now, I'm sure, Robin, in your work and in your ministry, you've had to trust God many times when it's just seemed crazy. Guidance begins with trust. Um, Proverbs 16.20, and by the way, you may want to write some of these references down because I haven't got them all on the screen, but Proverbs 16.20, whoever gives thought to the word of God will discover what is good. Whoever gives thought to the word of God will discover what is good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Or you know this one, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In other words, don't be wise in your own eyes. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will direct your steps. He will guide you. He will make your path straight. Uh, different ways that verse is translated. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. That's the fear of the Lord. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. He will guide you. So asking for guidance begins with trust. When you ask for guidance, you have to trust the person that you're asking, don't you? That they know best, that they won't mislead you, that they're not out to harm you. And sometimes I have to choose to trust their advice, even when I'm not sure what the outcome will be. I have to trust that, you know, if I'm asking a friend or a mentor that is a little bit further on in life than I am for advice, then I have to trust that they've walked the path a little further than I have and they've seen a bit more and they know what lies ahead. It will be okay if I trust their advice, but I have to uh, be willing to do that. That's faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I have found it really hard at certain points in my life to trust God and to believe that he really does have my best interests at heart. I don't know if there's anyone else here that has been through those experiences. Does God really have my best interests at heart here? Can I really trust him? Now, I remember when we were church planting uh, and we were trying to raise a family in one of the most expensive cities in the world. Robin, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Vancouver, San Francisco, similar kind of vibe. Um, and we were on an income, you know, as church planters that was never enough to make ends meet. And I was amazed, I've got to tell you, I was amazed over and over at how God would miraculously provide for us. You know, at just the right time, someone would show up and hand us a check, or some money would appear in our bank account with a note of blessing, anonymously. God was looking after us, but there were some really difficult cold sweat nights, I've got to tell you, where I was wondering how I was going to pay the bills. But God always provided, and we saw that over and over again. But that didn't stop me from really struggling with it. It takes me a while to learn these things. I don't know about you, but I've seen God do amazing things in the past, but I still question whether he's gonna be good to me in the future, often. And so it's a struggle. So often we don't trust God with his guidance. You know, maybe we think he's a spoil sport. He's out to make life difficult for us. But I heard a quote this week, which um, I've been chewing on and I found so helpful. And it was from the 16th century Catholic priest, Ignatius of Loyola, who wants to find sin like this, next slide, that sin is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. 
Isn't that beautiful? Really reframes sin as something that invites us into a deep, like, the, you know, the, that sin is the unwillingness to be invited to accept God's invitation to really trust him and walk with him. Sin is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. Now, that's not to say that we won't face trials. Like, that's never promised, that everything will be easy all the time. But along the way, we will discover the heart of God, that he's not out to trick us. He's not out to cause us to stumble. He actually deeply desires for you that you will live a life that is blessed, that you will flourish, and that you will do all that he intends to do in your life. He desires to bless you. That's his character toward you. So God's guidance um, is the best there is, friends, for living a flourishing life. And to accept this is wisdom, it's chokhmah, to say, yes, Lord, I trust that what you want for me will lead me to blessing, to life, and to flourishing. Proverbs 3, verse 1, my child, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. How does Scripture reveal to us the character of God, friends? What are some of the metaphors that Scripture uses to reveal what God is like? He is your father. He is your shepherd. He is your savior. He is your creator. But he's also your friend. Didn't Jesus say, I don't just call you my servants, I call you my friends. God is our friend. He is our redeemer. He died for us. He loves you more than you love yourself. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. That really is what God desires for you. Do you believe that this morning? Can you trust that this morning as you walk with the Lord through all the ups and downs, through the difficult days and the good days? that God is with you and he is leading you. That you can trust his advice. So how do you discern God's guidance? You trust him and submit to him. Trust that he will lead you, of course, and he has given us both his word and his spirit to guide us. So how does he do that? How does that work? Uh, my friend Ger Jones, who was here several months ago, says that Proverbs gives us four doors into God's guidance when we're facing decisions and I'm not gonna have time to go through all of them. So I'll do two, and then we're gonna pause, and I'll pick this up at another time. But there's four doors to God's guidance. The first two, when we're facing decisions, and I think these are really good questions to ask when we're praying for God to reveal his will to us. The first question is, what does the Bible say? Uh, Proverbs 4.4, take hold of my words with all your heart, keep my commands, and you will live. Now, we know that some of God's guidance is so important, you know, the really big stuff, that he wrote it down and gave it to us all. He didn't want us to be confused about what is most important. And so many of our questions can be answered right there at the macro level. We all know many of them. Do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not give false testimony, but also the stuff that we tend to forget. Love your neighbor, be merciful to the poor, pay your taxes, be a good citizen, work for the common good of all people, pray for your leaders, 
Forgive not just your friends, but also your enemies. Use your words to build up, not to tear down. Don't gossip. Pray for the sick. Keep sexual intimacy for marriage. Invest your time, gifts, and resources into the church and into the kingdom. These are God's loving encouragement to you, his guidance to you for how to live a full and flourishing life. This is the grain of the universe. When we read these laws, they're not just laws, they're not commands to keep because God wants to kill our joy. What they are are revelations to us to show us how life was meant to work in order that we might experience the fullness of life that's promised to us in Christ Jesus. And so a wise person says, okay, I may not understand all of these, I may struggle with some of these, but I wanna live my life in the grain of how God created the world to function best. And so I will follow the way and the will of the Lord, as revealed to us in scripture. This is wisdom, this is hokma. And of course, if everyone on this planet did this together all the time, life would be amazing, right? But if we have this little problem called sin and evil that we're dealing with, but the idea is these are meant to paint a picture of if everyone in the world was praying for their leaders and loving their enemies, you know, and giving to the poor and ensuring that we are working together for the common good of all, wouldn't life on this planet be amazing? Of course it would. And that's what's being opened up to us here. So if we want to be people who can set an example for others and live in the way that God intended, this is what we do. We submit ourselves to the will of God revealed to us in the scriptures. Are you with me? We say, this has authority over my life. I fear the Lord. He is the creator of heaven and earth. These words have authority over my life, and I will live according to them. I'll do my best. And when I screw up, as we inevitably all do, I will pray for forgiveness, and I'll ask the Lord to strengthen me to keep going. So the Bible reveals God's macro will, but often doesn't give us the specifics in terms of your unique set of circumstances. So the question then, I think, that is most important to ask next is when I'm making a decision, when I'm trying to choose uh, an action, when I'm trying to discern the will of God, next one, what will seek first the kingdom? What will seek first the kingdom of God? Faced with a question, when I'm making a decision, will one of them lead me toward Jesus or away from him? Will this decision Lead me toward Jesus or away from him. Proverbs says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. Now at first glance, it seems to say that we should pray, Lord, bless my plans, let them succeed and then he'll just grant you whatever you wish. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't say, Lord, bless my plans. It says, commit your plans to the Lord. It doesn't say commit your plans to the Lord. It says, commit to the Lord whatever you do. And the word commit here means to kind of roll on to to put all of your weight onto something. In other words, when you're making a decision, when you're trying to discern the way forward, put all of your weight onto the Lord. Roll onto him as it were. It means whatever I do, I'm seeking to do it with you. And I loved what Robin said, you know, when she experiences in her own ministry, this sense of walking alongside people and just helping them step by step throughout the the, the challenges that they face and the decisions they need to make. It's exactly the same picture between us and the Lord. He is our 
as Jesus says, he will yoke himself to us. It's this picture of God coming alongside us. In fact, the Spirit of God is literally called the paraclete, the one who comes alongside. And he comes alongside us and puts his arms around us and leads us forward step by step. And if we are constantly, daily, moment by moment, committing our life to him and saying, Lord, wherever you go, I will go. Whatever you wanna do, I will do. Lead me, guide me. And he will say to you every time you pray that prayer, yes and amen. And you may not see the way forward, but you can trust. Remember, guidance begins with trust. You can trust that he will take you where you need to go step by step. It doesn't say the word of God is a light to my future five years in advance. It says that the word is a light to my path, a lamp to my feet, It's moment by moment, step by step, trusting in the guidance and the direction of the Lord. And if you truly believe that he's with you and he wants the best for you, you can submit your way to him, submit your plans to him, and he will direct your steps. And I've seen that in my own life time and time and time again. And I'm sure many of you could say the same thing here this morning. You have seen how God has been good. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. Or as Jesus himself said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things that you need will be given to you as well. That's God's promise to you. If you seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness, trust him, submit to him, walk with him, commit your way to him. He will direct your steps and provide you with everything you need to do his will. That is his promise and it is rock solid. He will not fail you, he will not let you down. Now we stumble, we fall, we are faithless often and again, this is why we come back daily to that place of repentance. We ask for a fresh start, God's mercies are new every morning, amen. He pours out his spirit on us again, gives us wisdom again, helps us and guides us every day we live. Our joy, our purpose, our fulfillment is not found in seeking our own will, but his. So faced with a decision, what will seek first the kingdom of God? What will bring glory to Jesus? Will this help me grow in my relationship with Jesus? Will it help me in my obedience to Jesus? And I think this is a crucial one. Will it enhance Jesus' reputation in the world? And so this is really helpful, I think, for when we examine the motives behind our choices. You know, um, should I leave this job? Should I leave this church? Should I move? Should I spend my money or time on this or that thing? Should I encourage my children to do this or that thing? When you're thinking about your family. And we have all kinds of motivations that are at work within us and around us. We have obviously the will of God. We have our own sometimes crooked desires. We have our culture telling us, yammering at us day in and day out, choose this, do this, this will lead you to happiness. This is where fulfillment is found. Sometimes, as again, Robin said, sorry, I'm basically just pulling from your interview this morning. You know, Even when things are peaceful, we still have this noise in our minds and in our hearts often, don't we? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? When you close your eyes to pray, when you try to listen to the voice of God, and it just seems like the monkey mind just takes over. You know, I found friends, um, Mother Teresa actually said this in an interview 
um, one of the last she gave before she passed away, the interviewer asked her, so what do you say to God when you pray? She sort of paused for a moment and thought about it. And then she said, I often say nothing. I just sit in silence and listen. And I think just listening to the Lord and exercising discipline in that, even with all the thoughts running crazy through our minds, is the highest form of prayer, just listening to the voice of the Lord. And the more you do that, the more you'll be able to recognize the voice of the Lord in the midst of all the noise. And so when you do need to make an important decision, you'll hear where the shepherd is calling you. And it won't be a loud trumpet often, it's a very still small voice. But the more you practice that discipline, the more, uh, just like when you've heard a friend's voice um, for many, many years, and then you might be in a crowded cafe somewhere, and you just hear their voice across the other side of the room, you instantly recognize them. It'll be like that with the Lord. So we spend time in his presence, spend time in his word, we trust him, and we need to check our motives. What will bring glory to Jesus through the decisions I need to make in my life? And be honest, friends, that sometimes we are running. Remember our series on Jonah? Sometimes when the Lord speaks, it's not that the Lord isn't speaking, it's just that you don't want to hear what he's saying. Let's be real. Does anyone know what I'm saying here this morning? You know, um, a wise friend who I was asking some advice from one time, uh, we were talking through a decision I needed to make, and uh, he knew me very well. And I was dressing up this decision in a lot of spiritual language. Like, oh, I just don't think the Lord has really spoken to me about it yet. And just, oh, I'm not sure what to do. And he just said, Tim, that's rubbish. You know exactly what God wants you to do. You just don't want to do it. And I was like, hey, yeah, okay, yeah, you got me. And so even when we were making the decision, my wife and I, about whether to come to one, we had to wrestle through our motivations, test our hearts before the Lord. And I can tell you something, friends. If you want God to answer a prayer, this is the prayer you should pray. As David prayed in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. You know what I've found every time I've prayed a prayer like that? Lord, show me what's really going on in my heart. Test my motives. He has answered that. He has spoken very clearly. I think God wants you to make the right decisions. He wants you to flourish. He wants you to go uh, forward in his will. He really does. And so I think oftentimes we, we imagine that there's all these things against us because we're either not righteous enough, or we don't know our scriptures enough, or we're not ready, or we don't have the right gifts or skills or talents or abilities, or we've had people say to us our whole lives that you're not good enough, you don't measure up, you'll fail, whatever it might be. We feel like there's all these things against us from to, from doing the will of God. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that, the Lord shows up and he says, I am for you and not against you. I am for you and not against you. And I will lead you if you trust me. All right, so we're gonna finish there. Um, the other couple of points we'll deal with another time. Uh, what does godly wisdom say? And this is about how we can best seek the advice of wise people. Uh, and the other one is, what is the Holy Spirit saying? Right. What is the Holy Spirit saying? As we conclude, though, this morning, I want us to be reminded of 
what James says in James chapter 1. And I think this is so crucial. If any of us lacks wisdom, we can do what? Does anyone know? Ask the Lord who gives generously, James says, who gives generously. So if you ask the Lord for wisdom, he will give it to you generously. But there's another little bit there, which I think is so beautiful. It's not just that God will give you wisdom generously. It says that he will give you wisdom generously without finding fault. And I think that is so important because a lot of us believe, and it's a lie from the devil, that in order to receive wisdom and direction from the Lord, we have to measure up. We have to be good enough. We have, have to, we have to have earned it. But that's not what James says. James says if anyone here lacks wisdom, they can come to the Lord and ask. And he will give you wisdom generously without finding fault. 